This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 126. I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. And last episode, we talked to you guys about why word of mouth isn't working for you. So a lot of you going, okay, we get that, but how do we make it work for us? Because we hinted that there are ways to make word of mouth work for you. So we're going to dive right into that and show you some techniques, explain a little bit of the background on this, and then hopefully you'll go away and implement some of these things. And a lot of thinking comes from a book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. And I want to say... Thomas, am I right in saying that book's been out 15 years? Maybe something like uh, that. Longer yeah. than that. Something like that. It's been out a while. But so the, what is contained in there is, is extremely power, powerful. And if you have not read any of Malcolm Gladwell's books, I can, I can hi- highly recommend a number of them. In terms of writing ability, he probably is the, one of the highest in terms of nonfiction. The way he writes nonfiction is just brilliant. Uh, but he talks about how ideas spread. And one of the things he talks about in that book is the importance of the important few. So when ideas spread from person to person, not everyone is equal. And a good example of this would be uh, kind of a thought experiment. And that is, what if Mark Zuckerberg had launched Facebook instead of launching it at Harvard? What if he had launched it at a nursing home? Now, people in nursing homes have very small social circles, and their social circles are not well connected to other social circles. (laughs) So people in a nursing home typically are only friends with other people in a nursing home. A lot of their non-nursing home friends have passed away, or they don't have good communication with them. And maybe they get to see their children from time to time, but it's not very often. And when they do, their children are not listening to them, (laughs) what they're recommending most of the time. And so to get something to spread by word of mouth at from a nursing home would be virtually impossible. And that's why you don't see social movements emerging from nursing homes, despite the fact that there are tens of thousands of nursing homes. Now, compare that to Harvard. Harvard, because it's one of the top schools in the nation, has people from every state in the nation and from dozens, if not hundreds of countries that are members there. So if an idea spreads at Harvard, it's only one hop away from reaching someone in the rest of the world, not just anyone in the rest of the world, influential people at the rest of the world. And so once everyone at Harvard was using Facebook, everyone at Stanford and at Yale wanted to use Facebook. And suddenly now all of the Ivy League schools are using Facebook. Well, the big state schools wanted to use Facebook. And I remember being in college when my university, which was a small liberal arts university, didn't have Facebook and the big state schools did have Facebook. So our friends that went to University of Texas or A&M, they (laughs) They had Facebook and we didn't. And I tell you what, we were so jealous when Facebook came to my university, um, the For the first time, everyone took the day off of classes to just do Facebook. We were so excited. And there was like a line out the door at the poor IT department who had nothing to do with Facebook. But in order to activate your Facebook account, you had to be able to receive email at your university email address. And no one used their university email addresses. They didn't know their passwords. There's a line of people all trying to reset their passwords out of the door of the building. I I felt so bad for those poor IT people. But, um, you know, the idea spread. And then once all the college students are using it, well, now the high school kids are using it wanting to use it. And then, so they let in just high schoolers after that. And then they opened it up to anyone. And suddenly everyone wants to be on Facebook. That is how ideas spread. 
And to give you an idea of how that can work with your book, I want to share three different kinds of people that help in the spreading of ideas. And this is, again, from Tipping Point from Malcolm Gladwell. The first is what Malcolm Gladwell calls a maven. This is person. This is a person who is a nerd or a super nerd on a category or a topic. So I am a maven. That Of these three, this is what I very much am. I just love learning about things and researching things. And there's certain categories where... I am, you know, read probably more books in that category than maybe anyone else because there are categories I invented in my own mind. <laughs> so like business <laughs> books on failure. I'm a huge fan of that topic. And so I created the business books on failure list on Goodreads myself. <laughs> and I and I then put all of the dozens of books on failure in that list because I find that, you know, there's a lot more things that you can learn from failure than from success. It's a small niche. Most people who have spectacular failures don't go on to write books about it <laughs> because, you know, typically a CEO after he makes, you know, billions of dollars, then he writes a book about how great he is. The kind of CEO who's like, hey, I made some mistakes. Here are the mistakes I made. That's a less common book uh, to read. Uh, but anyway, that's just one little niche that I'm a maven of. But I'm also a maven on technology topics and other uh, non-book related things. Now, the second kind of person, and this is probably the most important person, is somebody who's called a connector. So last episode, we talked about how people live in bubbles, and that's true. Most people live in bubbles, and they are only interacting with people who are like them and near them uh, for the most part. Connectors, though, are not that way. So a connector might have hundreds or thousands of friends that they remember the names of in all different kinds of walks of life and all different kinds of um, areas. And Malcolm Gladwell was talking about how his social network, when he started graphing where he met his friends, most of his friends all came from one relationship that he had with one guy. <laughs> so it's like, I don't have my own social network. I have this guy's social network. And he introduced me to you know all of these different people. And that's true in my life. I have a friend. Uh, he actually worked with me as an intern. And uh, a lot of the key relationships in my life came from introductions from this guy, including my wife. <laughs> so uh, I, I first met my wife in a real way off of an introduction from him. Uh, so he is a connector. He's super outgoing. He's super personable. Uh, everybody likes him. And he has just an unbelievable number of friends. Uh, these people are highly extroverted and they tend to also be very high energy. And they are the ones that cause ideas to spread. Uh, and if they, and they like doing it, it's just, a, it's a natural thing for them to do it. It's you can't say, oh, I'm going to become a connector. You, you just are, you can't help it. It's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you got to meet my friend, Jeff. You got to meet my friend, Thomas. You got to meet my friend, Susie. You guys would really inspire each other. They, they just love doing it. That's right. Mavens collect ideas for the pure joy of it. Connectors collect people for the pure joy of it. Um, and then uh, the third is salespeople. Uh, and salespeople are somebody who really push or evangelize an idea. Uh, so, And they do it uh, for various motivations. But this can also be important. Although I will say salespeople are less important. Uh, but if we look at books and their spread like... Um, the book Getting Things Done by Dave Allen, that book sold more copies each year for like five years. It had this growth curve. So most books sell best in their first year and then it tapers off. That book had just the opposite. And what happened was 
people who read Getting Things Done became evangelists for getting things done. And they would preach the gospel of getting things done to anyone who complained about being busy in their lives. <laughs> so if you came to me and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. And I was a Getting Things Done evangelist. I would take the book and like beat you over the head with it until you would read it. Not physically, you but verbally. You book. have to read this book. Uh, and so I may not have been a maven. People not, may not have seen me as like an expert or uh, the person that they go to with questions. Uh, but I just wouldn't shut up about it. And that is the, it's less valuable, but it's still valuable. So think about a maven, someone you go to when you're wanting advice. If you're looking for a book recommendation, who do you go to? Who's the one friend you call or the one friend you send a message to? Or for other things, right? If you have car trouble or if you have to buy a new car, who's the car maven in your life? You're like, hey, I'm looking to get a new car. What cars do you like? And this person, you know, just studies cars because they're into cars. They just study computers because they're into computers. They're a maven. So a salesperson uh, is the person who comes to you and won't shut up about the book that they just read, whereas a maven is the person that you go to to get advice, to kind of give you an idea of the difference between those two groups of folks. So let's talk a little bit about how to target mavens and connectors and salespeople and get them on your team or to get them spreading the idea of your book. So the first group you have to win over typically is mavens. They're going to be the first ones who are going to take a risk on you as a new author, and they're going to be the first ones to take a risk on a new book. And they care the most about the quality of your book. Uh, specifically for that genre. So the key is that you have to be giving them what they're wanting, what they're expecting. So quality is not necessarily like, oh, great use of simile and metaphor here and lots of big, long sentences. That's not what I mean by quality. I mean, like, if you're writing violent space marine action uh, and the mavens are looking for good, violent space marine action, your book had better have really good, violent space marine action. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And space marines is a category that didn't even used to exist. And, you know, some indie authors started writing space marine books, and now it's become a whole genre. And you know what? I like a good space marine. I love it when some guys in power armor fall down from a spaceship and shoot some evil aliens in the face. That is a a fun book for me to read every once in a while, but I'm not a maven of it. I don't read every single Space Marine book that comes out like I read every single business failure book that comes out or that I can get my hands on. Um, Jim, what are some things that you do to target uh, mavens, the nerds of a category? Well, I have some people who I know are mavens, and I know that they know all about a particular genre, my genre, or subsets of my genre, because I, in some ways, people say I've created my own genre. And so I go after those folks and and let them know about the book. And one of the things that I've found with mavens is, to your point, Thomas, you really have to know your stuff. Uh, they typically are bright people. You're not gonna you're not gonna fool them, right? And so you have to know your stuff, and you have to know that it's a, a applicable fix. So I'm not gonna necessarily send every book to every maven. I pick them carefully if you know what I mean. That's right. And these are the folks you want to send free books to. So, right, you sign up for Audible and they give you 20 books. You don't just send them to random people. You send them to the mavens <laughs> because they're the ones who will actually listen to the book that you sent. You know, you could send it to a connector, but who's going to say they're actually going to listen to it because they don't read as many books on average as mavens do. Uh, another thing, and I should point this out, a listener sent us a note I had recommended in the Goodreads episode to add your own books uh, to Goodreads lists. You can't actually do this uh, anymore. Um, and and uh, I'm not sure if you ever could. It's a little unclear. It, but the people who create lists on Goodreads and add books to lists 
are the mavens. So it's not about you giving your book one vote, you know, and adding it yourself. It's about getting mavens to add your book to the list that they're curating. And one thing that can do that help is just to ask, ask them to you know, vote for you for the top romance books of 2018 list on Goodreads. You send them a link if you have a relationship with them. Mavens are the kind of people who are going to log all 100 books they read this year on Goodreads. <laughs> so your other kinds of readers aren't going to do that. Whereas Goodreads is specifically for book mavens. So it's a kind of a perfect uh, ecosystem for those kinds of people. And I will say they can be savage. If they don't like a book, they're also very honest about that. So Amazon, everyone yeah. gets four stars. Yeah. It's like Oprah, you get four stars, and you get four stars. Uh, Goodreads is not like that because these are mavens and they're really trying to filter and sort. They're um, much more honest with their reviews. I, I trust Goodreads reviews far more than I trust Amazon reviews. Yeah. And the other thing that Goodreads does that I really like is that it shows me reviews by my own friends at the top of the list. So it's not the person who had the most likes on their review. It's the person who I'm the have the closest relationship with. And I trust my friends over some, you know, super reviewer on Amazon. And that really brings us to focusing on the connectors. The connectors, they care about if they know you personally or not, because they are, I am not going to introduce just willy-nilly somebody to my friend Thomas and say, Thomas, this is somebody you should connect with. I have to know them, trust them, like them, respect them. There has to be that buildup of a relationship before I'll, I'll introduce them to somebody. Um, I tend to be a connector in a lot of ways, but the super connectors, they know the qualities of all these different people. It's in their head and it's like, okay, that person might not be a connection, but oh my gosh, this person is. So consequently, they really do have to know you and have uh, more than just a, uh, oh, I know their name relationship with you. That's right. And realize that not everyone who has a blog is a connector. Not everyone is an influencer. But some people with blogs are super connectors. <laughs> Not all blogs are created equally. And some e one easy way to tell how popular a blog is is to look and see how many people are tweeting links to a blog post. So if, the, if it has zero shares on Facebook or zero tweets, it's probably not a very popular blog. Whereas if it has hundreds or thousands of tweets and shares, that means that people are reading it and engaging with it. Or, you know, hundreds and hundreds of comments. A lot of authors make the mistake, they go on blog tours, where they go from blog with no visitor to another blog with no visitor, and they do this 50 times and they're exhausted, and they've not reached anyone. Because they're not reaching connectors, they're reaching people in the bubble bubble people who <laughs> don't uh, have much spread. Uh, so the challenge here, like Jim was saying, is that it's all about getting to know them personally. And I realize you're an introverted author and this is uncomfortable. <laughs> so uh, the easiest way to do this is to just uh, go to a conference and uh, interact with them. And I, I talk with a lot of introverted folks and I'm actually pretty introverted myself. I get charged up uh, being alone. I'm very happy working alone. Uh, but I've had to learn how to interact with people and be confident. And most people who would meet me would think that I'm an extroverted person. Uh, and what I found is that people are not looking for you to be interesting. You know, often shy folks are afraid. I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. Just ask questions. If you can get someone talking about themselves <laughs> and you can be interested in what they have to say, they are going to love you because that's what people want. They want someone who will just listen to them. And so it's actually not that hard. Just look them in the face and nod and listen and don't do it like fakely where you're like zoning out and really thinking about you know characters in your book genuinely listen and genuinely try to find them interesting because you know they're a human being just like you are and they have thoughts and experiences and adventures just like you do and challenges and the more 
you're able to understand the people around you, the more you understand the world around you. And that is interesting. So I hope that's helpful. <laughs> uh, there's no real shortcut to this. There, there isn't there. And those of you who are going to conferences this year, and, and we've said this before, but it's worth repeating probably a thousand times. When you go to a conference, yes, uh, no reason not to uh, connect with that agent or that editor. But do not neglect connecting with other authors. You can build relationships that can be hugely beneficial both ways. Um, so take the time to get to know them and realize that all those authors, wow, she looks so shy or wow, he just doesn't feel like look like he wants to engage. It's because they feel like you do. They're introverted. They're not exactly sure uh, how to reach out. They're not necessarily comfortable doing it. But like Thomas said, if you engage with those people and are interested in them, oh my gosh, I, I have built so many relationships with other authors. And it's come from me going to conferences, even in the early days where, yes, in the early days of my conferences, I did want to talk to the agents and editors. But even in those very early conferences, I also got to know other authors and some of those friendships are, are alive today, all these years later, and we help each other. Um, they are connectors, uh, and, and I'm a connector, so we help each other out. So go to the conferences, but do not neglect getting to know other authors and building those relationships. And one more thing that may make this a little less intimidating is that connectors collect each other as well as non-connectors. So once you can get one connector who's like, super jazzed and excited about your book, it will spread from connector to connector. So this is why when people talk about word of, world of, word of mouth and how it goes viral and changes the world, it's when it hits the connect, connector network. So there's maybe 20,000 connectors in the country. And once one of them gets your idea, it can spread very quickly throughout that whole community. And then those 20,000 people then influence uh, the rest of the population. So don't feel like you have to like make a lot of friends. You just have to make a few key strategic relationships. So um, enough about uh, mavens and connectors. Let's talk a little bit about salespeople. Salespeople care if you are one of them or not. Not all genres lend themselves to be able to reach out to salespeople, but if you're taking controversial stands uh, on issues, this can be really helpful. So for my book, Right. I was saying that courtship, the way that you know some very conservative people are doing it, doesn't work. It was the case that I was making in my nonfiction book. Um, and I was saying that we need to go back to dating and traditional dating. So it was counter the I kiss dating goodbye kind of message. And um, th there was very much people who were very strong advocates for my book. They weren't necessarily connectors. They weren't necessarily mavens. Uh, although some of them were mavens because they read every dating book that they can get their hands on. Uh, but the reality is, is that they were willing to shout my book from the rooftops. I had folks ordering cases of my books to mail to journalists. <laughs> One guy mailed, I think, two cases of my books out to various journalists. And he he was a salesperson for my book. And he was just very much on board with the position I was taking. And that can happen for fiction too. You can take a strong position on a controversial issue and salespeople will flock uh, to you or resonate with them in some way. Uh, they care about if you are one of them. <laughs> so if you can say, I'm a member of your tribe, honestly, and actually be a member of your tribe, that's where you're going to find your salespeople. Okay, so Thomas, we... Um we talk about word of mouth being viral, right? That's a word that's been introduced into our lexicon. Um, how do we create a viral message with our books? All right. So here is how to do it. I've got uh, four or five 
ways of making your message more viral. And we have some examples of books that have done this well. Uh, the first, and this goes on again with taking a stand, be controversial. Um, things that are controversial spread faster. Full stop. Even if people hate it or try to ban it, the act of banning it will cause it to spread faster. <laughs> it's it's like beating a fire in such a way where the sparks are flying everywhere. A good example of this <laughs> Adding is, oxygen to the fire. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, trying to blow a fire out is only going to blow it hotter, right? There, there is a point where you can blow out a candle flame, but eventually you're only making it worse. And Animal Farm is a good example of this. There's some other political books that have come out more recently uh, that have done this as well. You know, Animal Farm compares communists to pigs. It's not a very flattering position. And if you lean that way, if you, know, you think that communism is a great idea and it just hasn't been tried yet, Animal Farm is going to make you very angry because <laughs> it's saying, no, actually, communism has been tried and it has failed. It's a, it's a failed system. And, you know, this book's very old and it uses animals as, a, as metaphors, but it's a very controversial book. And there's a reason why it's never gone out of print because the author, George Orwell, was willing to take a stand on a controversial position and that caused it to spread. Another example of that is The Shack, um, where extremely controversial book and you had people getting up and saying, do not read this book. Do not read this book if you're a Christian. And of course, that made everybody go, what's this book about? I, I better check out this book and see what it's all about. And it's still recently, as of this recording last week, it was still, it hit number one on, on a few bestseller lists again. So it, it continues to be very controversial. The idea of, oh my gosh, this guy wrote a book where, where God is a woman. Well, that makes people curious. It's controversial. And so it, it makes people check it out. And, and a lot of sales came Paul Young's way because of that. And getting boycotted is a great way to hit the bestseller list. And by the yeah. way, if, if you dislike a book or disagree with a book, trying to burn it or boycott it, it's not the way to shut it down. Pro tip. <laughs> there are other ways. Uh, and the best way would be to write your own book that refutes it um, or ignore it altogether, depending on how popular it is. But uh, so being controversial can help. But let's say your book's not controversial, then what do you do? Well, the next uh, thing you can do is to be sticky. Have a simple pitch for your book, a one-sentence pitch that causes it to spread uh, from person to person. Or uh, that makes people, you can sometimes do this in the title, or just they hear the title and they're like, I have to read this book. So a classic example, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It makes a promise right there in the title that it will help you make friends and it will help you influence people, which by the way, if you're trying to reach out to Mavens, it might be a, a book that can help you. There's a reason it's been in print for a hundred years. Uh, yeah, a hundred years. <laughs> Maybe not that long, but it sure seems like it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the more simple your message is uh, and the more simple your pitch, and this isn't an episode about pitching. We've talked about that, but it, this is what, why your pitch is so important. And if you can't consolidate the essence of your book into a quick pitch uh, and you can't share it, um, then no one else is going to be able to share it. And you know, a few episodes ago, we had Brian Cohen on and I put him on the spot. I didn't tell him we were going to do this. And I was like, give us a pitch for your book. You know, pick a book and give us a pitch for it. And he did a great job because he is a professional marketer. He knows what he's doing. And in two sentences, he explained his book in a really compelling way. And I was like, gosh. That sounds really interesting. I, I'm now very interested in reading your book. You need to get it on auto, audio. <laughs> so, um, and Jim, I know you have, you know, quick, give, I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me a quick pitch for one of your books. Go. What would you do if you woke up one morning and the darkest parts of your soul were gone? Okay. So that's my pitch. That's what hopefully is going to make you go, what? I have to know more about that. 
So that's that's sticky. Suddenly I'm curious. It's short and it can spread from person to person. So crafting a viral message for your book uh, is really important. And we have some episodes on how to do that. We'll have links in the show notes uh, on where to get those other podcast episodes we've done specifically on this one topic. Uh, The next uh, tip here is to be remarkable. The next way to be viral is to be remarkable. Now, this is not being really good. This is being shockingly different. When people hear about your book, their eyebrows go up. (laughs) So um, my favorite example of this is Amish Vampires in Space, which is a real book that somebody wrote about Amish people (laughs) who had to evacuate the planet that they were living on because uh, of you know, the planet was going to be destroyed. So they had to hire a spaceship and they get on the spaceship and it turns out there's vampires on the spaceship. This book was so different. It got on Jimmy Fallon. It got on The Tonight Show. It's been featured in media all over. People talk about it. I think um, some comedians will bring it up in their comedy bits, right? Because it's shockingly different. And I heard the other day, and I don't know if this is true, but I believe there's a like film contract on this book now, like that potentially could be made into a TV show or a movie. Like Hollywood is interested in this book. Not because it's great, but because it's remarkable, it's shockingly different. And things that are shockingly different tend to spread. And after the success of Sharknado, Hollywood's tolerance for crazy <laughs> ideas has gone up quite a bit. Right. <laughs> and, you know, Sharknado, I know this is a TV example, but it had insane ratings for the first one. And the joke was the next day, all of the other movie executives or TV show executives for all the other stations are looking at their numbers on Monday and they're like, wait, we lost ratings to what? (laughs) We lost ratings to Sharknado? That's crazy. (laughs) But it was remarkable. It was worth making a remark about. So, so many authors are trying to fit in. They're trying to blend in. They're trying to be just like other books. And that can be a good way to get sales, but it's not a good way to get word of mouth. If you want to get word of mouth about your book, you've got to be different. You've got to be remarkable. All right, the next uh, way that you can help uh, craft a viral message is to advertise. Actually pay money to put your book in front of other people. So often word of mouth is manufactured because people first heard about your book uh, from some sort of paid advertisement, whether that's on Facebook or Amazon or some other kind of uh, advertising. And the way that I like to think of this is that people live in bubbles, or you could say people live in ponds, and a ripple from one pond is not going to affect the other ponds. So what advertising is doing is it's throwing rocks in the other ponds, trying to get ripples in as many ponds as possible. And uh, so believe it or not, there is a close relationship with advertising and with word of mouth, especially if you're doing these other things. You're sticky, you're remarkable, you're controversial. You know, any one of those will make your advertising way more effective. <laughs> and if you're all three, well, now you've got a perfect combination for a book to go viral. Well, the final idea is incentivize. You can reward people for sharing your content. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Thomas, you did you did a few innovative things when you were handling the marketing for, for Enclave Publishing, didn't you? That's right. So one of the things that we did, uh, we had viral contests using a plugin called King Sumo, which is a paid plugin. But what it does, it allows you to host a contest on your website. And people get entries in the p- contest for sharing it. So every friend that they, they, let's say they get an entry if they submit, right? They have a chance to win whatever it is you're giving away. But they get five more chances to win if they can get a friend to submit to the form. And so the more friends they get, the better chances they have of winning. And so at Enclave Publishing, what we did is we gave away a collection of all of our books. 
as you know, $250 worth of books that were all, you know, speculative fiction, Christian speculative fiction. And for the kind of people we were trying to reach, they were really interested in that. They would love to get, you know, $250 worth of books in that genre. And so they would enter and then they would share. And we had people who were, you know, trying to get every single one of their friends to join the contest. And we were, by incentivizing uh, people, we were able to create sales people from nothing nothing because they wanted to win that prize. And so regular people were transformed into salespeople. This is also why you see affiliate uh, programs so often is that people can be transformed into a salesperson uh, through the use of an affiliate program. But here's the thing. This only works if they already believe in your product. It's not going to convince somebody who thinks you have a terrible book to share it or to share a contest for it. It's going to take somebody who wouldn't normally talk about your book. They liked it, but they wouldn't normally talk about it for all the reasons we talked about in the last episode. And it can help them overcome those uh, objections because they're now incentivized uh, for one reason or another. So you really can do this. I have done things that have gone viral and it was all about connecting to mavens uh, and connecting to connectors all, and often also with salespeople. And when you get them and you connect those kinds of people with a message that's remarkable and sticky and controversial, and it will spread like crazy. And uh, if that's not working, then you know, don't be afraid to advertise or incentivize. Yep, well said. This episode of Novel Marketing is brought to you by the Rubart Writing Academy. If you would like to become a greater writer, a superhero of writing, the Rubart Writing Academy is for you. Jim, tell us about the Rubart Writing Academy. Yeah, you you guys already know this if you if you're a regular listener, but uh, this spring Taylor and I are doing the second and third Rubart Writing Academy. We did our first one in October, and really, it's instead of me teaching on uh, at a workshop or at a conference, this is a four day intensive where I'm going to teach you exactly what I did to become a best selling, award winning author and. Thomas, we're going to teach people about the business. We're going to teach them about the marketing and branding. We're going to teach them about motivation and inspiration. We're going to teach them um, about craft. So all the components, but really the heart of the academy is it's transformation. In other words, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know how to go from, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what I want to do. I'm not sure how to do it. When you get to a place of, oh my gosh, I know exactly what, what I have to do and I'm motivated to do it and I believe in myself and now I know the theme of my life, that's what we saw at the October Academy. And I was thrilled because we didn't know if this was going to happen or not. We wanted people to walk out of there empowered. We wanted them to walk out of there with the confidence they did not have going in. We wanted them to walk out with a roadmap where they knew exactly what they needed to do to get rid of the confusion and the frustration and go forward on their path. So yeah, we're really excited about doing it again April 12th through the 15th and May 3rd through the 6th. And the easiest way for people to find out more information if they're interested is to go to rubartwritingacademy.com. R-U-B-A-R-T Academy uh, Writing. rubartwritingacademy.com. We also, as always, have a link to that at novelmarketing.com slash one two six for episode 126 you've been listening to the novel marketing podcast giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline online and everywhere in between thanks for listening